0: you're listening to the Hall Vineyard podcast. To find out more about the Hall Vineyard Church, go to hallvineyard.co.uk.
1: Today I'm going to be reading uh, Daniel chapter 5, and it's a really long one, so get comfortable. Um, The writing on the wall. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone." Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was frightened. And he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers and diviners to be to brought, be and said to these wise men of Babylon, Who, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom then all the king's wise men came in but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant so king belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale his nobles were baffled the queen hearing the voices of the king and his nobles came into the banquet hall O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the father of the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. The man... Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles, my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant, but when his heart became arrogant and heart hardened with pride, he was deposed from the royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God. Is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, Parsin." This is what those words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perus, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62.
0: Well, good morning, everyone. So, the sermon title for today is, What's Your Headline? What's Your Headline? I want you to imagine, every single one of you, you were born in the year 1900, 1900. And on your 14th birthday, World War I starts and ends on your 18th birthday, and 22 million people perish at war. Later in that year, a Spanish flu epidemic hits the planet and runs until your 20th birthday. 50 million people die from it in those two years. Yes, 50 million. On your 29th birthday... The Great Depression begins. Unemployment hits 25%. That runs until you are 33, and you survive a global economic crisis. When you turn 39, World War II starts. Anyone feeling depressed right now? It gets better. Trust me. Between your 39th and 45th birthday, 75 million people perish in the war. The Holocaust caused six million Jews die. Age 50, the Korean War starts, 5 million perish, 55, the Viet- Vietnam War begins, doesn't end for 20 years, 4 million people perish in that conflict. Now, if you were born in 1900, question, how do you survive all of that? How do you survive all of that? A lady called Beverly Greer wrote this last year. Sometimes I just wanted to stop. Talk of COVID, looting, brutality, I lose my way I become convinced that this new normal is real life. Then I meet an 87-year-old who talks of living through polio, diphtheria, protests, and yet is still enchanted with life. He seemed surprised when I said that 2020 must be especially challenging for him. No, he said slowly, looking me straight in the eyes. I learned a long time ago not to see the world through the printed headlines. I see the world through the people that surround me. I see the world with the realization that we love big. Therefore, I choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. He patted my hand. Old man makes new friend. His words collide with my worries, freeing them from the tether I had been holding tight. They float away I am left with a renewed spirit. My headline now reads, Woman Overwhelmed by the Spirit of Kindness and the Reminder that Our Capacity to Love is Never Ending. Now, as we approach Remembrance Day next week, um, I'm in schools this week, and so just thinking a lot about this, uh, we meet many people, don't we, like that 87-year-old man who chose The headline of their life based on a better perspective. Stephen Furtick, who's a a wonderful communicator in the States and pastor, says this, your perspective will either be your prison or your passport. One of two ways. And I've always passionately believed this, that our problems are rarely the problems, but the perspective that we have on the problems. Because you can have two different people with exactly the same problem, and yet they have very different perspectives on the problem. Now, for us as followers of Jesus, I think this comes down to the difference between facts and truth. The facts are, is our world right now might be coming apart. But the truth is, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A huge difference between facts and truth The fact is, internally, we are battling unreal amounts of pressure, of fear, maybe anxiety. But the truth is, greater is he that is within me than is in the world. The fact is, outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed every single day. And I think this is beautifully demonstrated in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the power of perspective In God's upside-down kingdom, let me just read a few of those verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you're poor in spirit, you are blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. In other words, controlled power and strength. You have the ability to say something, to do something, but you choose not to. That is Meekness is such a fruit of the Spirit that our world needs today, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I love this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for this is the kingdom of heaven. If you are going through persecution right now, you are blessed and the kingdom of heaven is yours. That is the difference between truth and facts. And our headline over our lives that mark our lives should be one of perspective rooted in truth, not facts. Church, I wonder, what is the headline that sits over your life right now? If your life was a headline What would it say about you and your life? What would it announce? And when I read Daniel chapter 5, it is a chapter about headlines. Namely and centrally, this the writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall. Imagine opening up that BBC app or opening that newspaper and seeing that headline the writing is on the wall. In other words, you're done. You're finished. You're toast. That's it. And between chapters 4 and 5, and Josh did an outstanding job unpacking the sovereignty of God in chapter 4 last week, there's a gap of about 30 years, and there's been a transfer of power from King Nebuchadnezzar to this king, King Belshazzar, and King Belshazzar is not learning at all from his predecessor. He's not learning at all from the past, but continues in the same vein as his Predecessor with sacrilege of pride, of arrogance, of idolatry. So you see in this passage that this king is throwing a party for about a thousand people, more of a a, a drunken orgy. And just to really emphasize the waywardness of this gathering, he's worshipping these idols made of gold and silver and wood and iron and bronze. And he's drinking out of these goblets, these precious goblets that were taken from the temple. It's it's the ultimate fist in the face. It's the ultimate disregard, blasphemy towards God. Such extraordinary pride and idolatry from this king. So in response to this, you see God communicate a message to him through this extraordinary way and this extraordinary headline moment. And God's hand writes on the wall these three things that we read about in verse 26, 27, and 28. These are what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you are being weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So, in this moment, God lifts his finger. And unlike me, when I lift my finger in the house to do any DIY, when God, which is terrible by the way, ask my wife, when God lifts his finger, everything changes. The writing is on the wall, your days are numbered, Belshazzar, you have been found wanting. In other words, your behavior has actually brought judgment upon yourself. And when you read that, it is a parallel text immediately to Romans chapter 1, which is where I believe our culture is right now. Romans 1 verse 18, the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, its eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Just underline that. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. That's the king, isn't it? And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, gold, silver, wood, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. Your days are numbered. God gave them over. This is what you really want? I'm giving you over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served great things rather than a creator who is forever praised. There is a shift from, cre- from worshiping the creator God to good things, but created things. And there's an exchange. And that's what happens when we lose sight of who God is. We serve and long to be fulfilled by lesser gods, which is often in creation. This is our culture right now. This is the world that we live in. What we have here with this king is what we see unpacked in Romans 1, which is why we are in exile. We are a people who have turned, often their back on God, centered on, like the king, pride. And What we read here in Romans 1, we see in the story of the king. I want you to know in verse 22, it says this, But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Did you count that? You you knew all this. You knew actually what was the right thing to do. And yet you chose to lift yourself up, not God. Now, Romans 1 verse 20 says this, people are without excuse. In other words, ignorance isn't an excuse through creation, through conscience, through God's word. He has revealed himself and ultimately through the cross of Christ to the world. So you know, you know. Ignorance is is no excuse in both Daniel 5 and in Romans 1. In Romans 1, we read that for although they knew God and they didn't glorify him, and verse 23, they exchanged glory for God for great things. And so God hands them over to their desires. And we read with the king and his account, because he did not humble himself, he did not honor God it says this, he set himself up against the one who holds his life in his hands. God lifts his finger, but his life was in the hand of God. And because he did not recognize that and took his own life into his own hands, we see there's a problem. That is pride. That is idolatry. That same hand is saying, enough, enough is enough and writes on the wall. His pride made him blind. That's why C.S. Lewis said that pride is the cancer of all sins. It's like the chief of all sins. Because pride, when we set ourselves up to be something that we're not, it makes us blind to so many different things in our world and in our self-perception. Let's just look at the story uh, where the queen mother, and I haven't got time to go into this, but it's actually the queen mother, and mums know best. The queen mother steps in, in this story in chapter 5, and she suggests Daniel to come and interpret the writing on the wall. Why? Well, let's read it, verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom who was the spirit of the holy gods in him. Again, that's used in the language of the day. But in other words, what that means is the Holy Spirit was upon him. And in the time of your father, he was found of insight and intelligence of wisdom like that of the, your, your gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found of a keen mind, and knowledge, and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Daniel's your man. The the mom says, Daniel's your man. Call for him. Now, there's a couple of teaching points for us here in this. First of all, this is fascinating. The means by which God interprets the message is through Daniel. Why? Because he demonstrates all these characteristics. He's He's wise, he has understanding, he has insight, intelligence, knowledge, an excellent spirit is one of the translations. He has an excellent spirit. But Daniel is a messianic foreshadowing of Jesus. If you read this in Isaiah 11, it says this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, that's Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel, might, might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Daniel here is a foreshadowing of the coming Jesus. When, when we read the Old Testament, and for those of you maybe just starting out on your journey, and maybe you're here and you've, you read that passage, you think, what on earth? Didn't know the Bible was like that. It should always be pushing us towards Jesus. Theologians call it, you know, reading the Old Testament Christocentrically. This is an easier way to put it. The Puritans used to say that the Old Testament is the swaddling bands presenting Jesus. Should always be pushing us and moving us towards Christ when we read the Old Testament. Now, let's knit back to Romans one briefly. Chapter one, as you know, is about judgment. God handing people over to their own desires. But do you know the rest of Romans is all about the gospel? Is all about the beautiful, incredible, good news that Jesus absorbed and took on the wrath of God for our sake on the cross. Do you think that's amazing? The same means that the king interpreted the message through Daniel Let's get Daniel as we see in the New Testament for us is we see the same kind of stuff, pride, idolatry, sacrilege, rejecting God and yet the wonder of the gospel is that Jesus, just read Romans 2 onwards. That's why it says none of us should ever judge as people. We all walk as wounded healers. We all walk broken and we work together as a community into the glorious gospel which every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But for one man's obedience, on the cross, he has now brought us back. Shed blood on the cross and now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's a beautiful portrayal of the gospel. But my second teaching point on that is that there's a headline call for us here as a church. And it's this. In this culture right now, a people in exile, be a Daniel. I want to take a couple of weeks over this, actually, so I'm just going to just share a little bit and then unpack some more next week. But in this culture, be a Daniel. Of course, we want to be like Daniel, who walks in a level of wisdom, which we need in our times, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, wisdom of understanding, having an excellent spirit from the inside out. We've got to see the characteristics of a man like Daniel, and of course, ultimately, like Jesus, and be Christ-like in our culture and generation. But what I really felt impressed to talk to you now about is, is just that phrase, Lord, teach us to number our days. And of course, it's an echo of Psalm 90, where it says, Lord, teach us to number our days, and And we can be like the king who has this pride and arrogance and it's interesting that affected him physically. Did you notice that his strength that he had as being the king, I'm in charge, he became weak and fragile. But Daniel lived a life where his days counted for a better headline. And for me, It's an encouragement to all of us as a church, as followers of Jesus, to finish well. Many people start well, but not many people finish well. Daniel, do you know, is in his late 80s when we see him now here in chapter five. He's in his late 80s where he is summoned. Decades have elapsed. He's been in a season of obscurity, and I'm gonna unpack this more, I think, in the next few weeks, but I actually think the church is going to enter into a season of obscurity where we do get back to the original blueprint of what it means to be the church. That actually, is in the wilderness years. It's in the hidden places. It's in exile where we learn again what does it mean to live like Jesus? What does it mean to really pray and to really fast and rely wholly dependent on the Spirit's power? Not just on some a few gimmicks and a few techniques that the church has often done in the West, but we're going to get back to what does it mean to be the raw church? There's power in the blood of Jesus. I mean, who was here at the baptisms last week? I've never cried so much in my life in church. I mean, I'm a crier. I cry most weeks, but boy, some of those stories of transformation. And as Josh said, and I think he's actually been prophetic and he's joking, we're going to buy four hot tubs and have one in each corner in this church, and we're going to have weekly baptisms. I'm telling you, that's the days that are coming. The interpretation of the message to the king is matched, this is really important, it's matched by the one giving the message. Which again is a really crucial point is that people aren't looking just to hear the good news of Jesus they want to see Jesus in us they want to see faith in action i've had people this week come and visit us in our church and i've given them tours of the building and what we're doing sundays are great but you know we're about being the church the rest of the week people crying Holy Spirit touching people. Because it's not about just saying, yeah, Jesus does this and Jesus does that. We want to see Jesus in the church being displayed. People want to know that you love. People want to know that you care. And so it's not just the message. It is being, it's the authority of the message because it's Daniel in his late 80s who has really learned to number his days He's the one giving the interpretation. And what is that? Is that we live our lives in the light of eternity. This is a caution flag that continues to flutter today in the shifting winds of our culture. Do not forget that our days are numbered. And I wanna say that, church, haven't we grieved enough in the last couple of years with this pandemic to know that our days are short? Didn't God speak to us right before COVID from James 4 and said, Do not boast about this or that or what you'll do tomorrow for your life is but a bit of mist? It's like a vapor. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. And Joni and I, as pastors, are about to walk through helping people through their sick bed, through funerals, doing funerals. It is horrific. But it should be a teacher that. Every choice you make, every decision that you make should be because your days are numbered. Who knows? Today is a gift from God. Who knows what will happen today? I have to think, and this is being serious now, I have to think every single day, I might not get to try Luke's baked potato tonight, which would be gutting. I've had Luke's food. He's come around to our house and cooked for us as a family. It's, it's, it's interesting, but it's a blessing. <laughs> especially as a vegan, and I'm a Yorkshireman through and through, likes Wagyu steak. That's for another talk. That's how we're going to think, And, and because of that, I assess everything. Joni and I, we're ruthless about our relationships. We're ruthless about our marriage, why we're talking about it tonight. We're ruthless about how we raise our kids. We're ruthless about our lifestyle because we recognize that actually our days are numbered. And every day is a gift, and who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. But I will face Jesus, the one who will lift his finger. And I want him to say, good and faithful servant. That is my goal. That is my vision. That is my headline of a life. And I want to ask you, is this the headline of your life The writing was on the wall for this king, but for us, we have the opportunity to live more like Daniel, to stand apart from the cultural chaos and heed this message and live for God. And I believe God is calling his church to choose the headline. Don't get caught up in the words and the paragraphs and the subplots and the narrative and the scripts and the detail. Just choose your headline and everything will take care of itself after that. And Jesus told us always that it would be an issue of priorities, the key to life and to living and to being a non-anxious present in our culture is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first, not second, third, fourth or fifth, the kingdom of God. If you do that as your headline, you will not want for anything in your life. If that is your driver, if that is your What is going to be, as it were, on your gravestone? Is that the thing that you wake up in the morning and say, I will seek first the kingdom of God? It's the first priority. That changes everything. It changes what we do with our money. It changes what we do with our time, our resources, our relationships with everything. We would make better choices if we grasped that our life was short.